Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is presented by Cure, cannabis used for research and education. The medical industry is steadfastly looking to help millions of patients that suffer from injuries related to repetitive motion, sports, trauma, and many other orthopedic injuries, as well as skin disorders, mental disorders, cancer, and osteoporosis, to name only a few of the other underlying conditions that billions suffer from each day. On average in this country, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. With the cost of pharmaceutical medicines increasing, patients deserve natural alternatives that are not only more cost-effective, but also safer for them and society. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing a therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website at www.curemich.com. Cure, cannabis used for research and education. On the Verge is also brought to you by Green Scene. Green Scene is a family-owned company recognized as the Sizzle Award winner for outdoor living in Williamson County. We design and construct areas to blend with the natural landscape of your yard. That can include outdoor spaces, gazebos, fire pits, outdoor kitchens, and yes, putting greens. We understand the importance of your home. That's why we never settle for anything but the best. Green Scene also provides multiple teams with professional landscape maintenance, irrigation, and outdoor lighting. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's special guest is the co-founder and CEO of the Banks LLC and how that extrapolates outward from there we'll discuss later. I'm so excited to have her. I was on her podcast recently, Sports to Suits. Welcome, Amanda Banks. Amanda, how are you today? Good, Virgil. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Well, I'm very interested in something, okay? Some people talk about building a business from the ground up. Uh, You built it from the napkin up. (laughs) We sure did. (laughs) So I'm fascinated by your... Like the pandemic mm-hmm. turned you into like the the homeschool mom slash entrepreneur thinking. I got to do something with myself. Boom napkin at at a <laughs> at a at a mall food court to the banks LLC. Talk to us about that journey and how you built it from the napkin up. Yeah, so it's really it's really quite an interesting story. So my daughter's school got destroyed by a tornado in March of 2020. So before COVID was even a thing, we were already at home <laughs> homeschooling her. So, you know, I was juggling working for an analytics company full time, um, homeschooling her, you know, throughout the summer, we thought, okay, well, she'll go back to school in August and all will be well. And as you know, uh, that didn't necessarily happen. (laughs) So she went back to school in August and the entire environment had changed. And she looked at me a couple of weeks in and she was like, mom, I can't do this. And so, 
you know, we, no questions asked. I just said, okay, we're going to homeschool you. So we pulled her out of home, um, out of school to homeschool her. And at the time I was working full time, my husband was working full time. You know, my role eventually dropped down to part time. And then later on in the year, we just were kind of talking about, okay, is this, is this a good opportunity for us to jump into you being a business owner? And, you know, we thought, well, this would be a great opportunity for us to teach our daughter what it's like to launch a company Mm -hmm. and to use that as part of her educational curriculum. So in January-ish, actually November-ish, my business partner and I were sitting at the Cool Springs Mall Mm -hmm. and we had a napkin and our kids were, you know, kind of chatting along and we're like, look, like, why don't we just launch a really interesting company where we partner with other people to do mission and impact driven work? And so we wrote it out on a napkin and there was DeBanks. So we launched the company and since then we've been spearheading that effort and partnering with incredible people to do amazing work. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because it, you start with your your whole career is kind of around sales, healthcare, tech, innovation, all those all those pieces. But it seems to me like you found there were there were holes that you wanted to fill as it pertains to the human interaction piece mm-hmm. and how people navigate themselves with others to create a successful business. How is it that you came upon that in, in from a place? started by a pandemic essentially. Yeah. So we saw this huge gap and, you know, my business partner's background is workforce and economic development. So she has a true passion in regards to that, but having the background and watching my kid go through school, me homeschooling her, I saw how critical it was not just for her to receive a different style of education, but also for her to receive exposure and just connections. Mm. And so I saw how valuable that was in her eyes. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm highly connected. I've done some really cool things in business. I see that there's a gap as far as education is concerned. So how can I leverage my background to help provide opportunities for other people, whether that's through, you know, connecting them to needed resources, whether that's partnering with them to do really cool projects that are focused on mission and impact driven work, or whether that's to just expose them to new things. Yeah. Um, and so that's how we went about launching DeBanks um, in, in that whole pandemic piece. Have you always been kind of an extrovert in which you could walk into a room and just figure out how to navigate it and meet people and feel comfortable meeting people? Or is that a learned, earned, and acquired taste, so to speak? <laughs> so I'm highly introverted. <laughs> so, you know, I've been really successful in sales, I think, because I've figured out how to leverage my introvert nature and to really ask appropriate questions and to kind of just sit back and listen. Um, I've had to learn how to become more extroverted just as part of this process. And so I would say it's something that I do enjoy, but I have to take it in doses. Yeah, it's interesting. Like You probably feel really good well actually you probably feel really nervous going <laughs> but you game plans like you're 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 a plan you you've benchmarked right you've brought a lot of people into your life that have mentored you and impacted you so you mm-hmm. took the pieces off of each person's greatness and put it in your front pocket and now you have a game plan yeah because you know, this is not my strength so to speak so you game plan yourself mm-hmm. and you game plan yourself into comfort mm-hmm. And then you you go in and you have your question set up because you're a really good listener. Mm -hmm. And there aren't many really good listeners (laughs) out there. So what looks like introversion, or what probably feels like introversion to you, okay, to somebody who is trying to be connected, they look at you as an extrovert because you came right up to them with a direct question and you're willing to listen to what they have to say. And you immediately have the next answer. 
well, this girl's got her stuff together, <laughs> you know, and and, yeah. all, and she's quick to give me the answer. So there's no, she's not shy. She's prepared. <laughs> she's sharp. But all of that comes from one of the most important parts of, of life, which is preparation. Yeah. I mean, I'm a former athlete. So, you know, if you look at athletes, you know, we, we take coaching, mm -hmm. we receive that coaching, we apply that coaching. And a lot of us tend to listen and to, you know, if we've got somebody that's giving us directions, we'll take that in and then we'll execute that. And so I've really carried that onto my career. You know, I've always been somebody that will find mentors or find people that I really think are incredible people and I'll model my behavior by them. I'll watch what they're doing. I'll watch why they, you know, why they're achieving success. Um, and so, you know, that for me is why we wanted to create DeBanks is if I'm seeing success, then how can I help other people get to that point, leveraging what we're doing and do it from a place of, you know, we're trying to make impact. We're trying to do good. We're trying to model our company around people that, you know, don't, don't have toxicity. You know, we're trying to do things the right way. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. A sport generally we, most people don't even realize it. And one of the things I love about our athletic director here is that he's a huge believer in no matter what, constantly being prepared to play other sports, get you out of your comfort zone. You don't have to be awesome. You just have to be able to experience adversity and learn how to do something from the beginning mm -hmm. in the face of others who might be more talented than you. Well, you have to be humble and accept that. Like, I don't have all the answers to everything, but I do know if I find other incredible people that if I pull them on board or if I, you know, ask them questions, appropriate questions, that they're more than willing to give us feedback or direction. And I recognize leading from a humble perspective. I don't have all the answers, nor yeah. will I ever, nobody ever has all the answers, right? And so it's just how can we surround ourselves with people that are incredible people that want to help us uh, achieve our goals. Yeah. It's interesting how similar uh, your path is to gymnastics, right? Mm -hmm. Is that I, you're not awesome at the beam <laughs> and, and, and instantly, and you have a lot of falls, right? Talk to us about your gymnastics career and, mm -hmm. and how, in, how involved you got into it and how that process of trying to become the best gymnast you could be has helped you become the best business person that you can be right now. Yeah, so I started gymnastics really, really young, um, but it was something that I was immediately passionate about. Like I got in the gym and I was like, this is absolutely the best place ever. Mm -hmm. So I put a lot of energy and effort towards that. Um, I stayed in gymnastics for many years. I became a high-level competitive gymnast. I was a level 10 gymnast at 10 years old, which is very unique because a lot of the times you don't see that until a little bit older. So, mm -hmm. you know, my path was really, do I go and train, you know, as an elite gymnast? Do I stay with what I'm doing right now or do I hold off until college? And so, you know, a lot of people that peak very high in athletics very quickly see burnout um, and so I burned out um, in the sport and ended up leaving the sport around 13-ish um, and had a really terrible transition out of the sport, which I see a lot of athletes do that as well. Um, but gymnastics has always been a passion of mine. I'm in the gym one day a week still just coaching just to get my feet on the beam. Um, and it's something that I just absolutely love. But I did peak at a really young age and have a terrible transition out of the sport. Interesting. So that's, that's a perfect segue <laughs> to what seems to be uh, something that you're really passionate about. You didn't do it at an adult age to go from sports to business. But what you ended up doing 
is transitioning yourself out of what you thought you loved into trying to figure out what the heck am I going to do now? Because I, nine months ago, I was all in on this, and now I'm all out on this. Sports to suit. So I did, I did your podcast. It was a very interesting <laughs> idea of how you're putting this together. You experienced that at age 13. I did. But now you're using it on a much more important platform because I've had the opportunity to interview many NFL players and many of them struggled when it was over. Yep. I only thought I was a football player. Now what? And and so that sports the suits idea started there. Now you 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 got a, a framework. What are you what's your vision for the podcast and or where you thinking sports to suits may go for you? Yeah, I think it's really important to recognize this. And this is a lot of things that a lot of people don't want to talk about, right? So after 13, when I transitioned out of this sport, you know, people don't recognize that all of your conversations at the dinner table are around practices. Your entire friend group is around that of your teammates. Your entire life, you know, you practice hours and hours and hours in the sport. And so when you leave that, typically it's pretty abruptly, um, especially for NFL and NBA athletes. And so when you leave abruptly, your entire ecosystem has changed. And for the most part, um, a lot of people don't have the resources needed to make it a successful transition. So for me, I went to drugs and alcohol and you name it, but I had the blessing at being very, very young. So a lot of the stupid things that I did, mm-hmm. you know, were a little bit easier forgiven than, you know, if you're a 26 year old guy or gal that's going through that um, yeah. as an adult. So, you know, for me, what Sports to Suits is, is from the, the live show perspective, is just a platform for me to be able to highlight incredible athletes that, you know, have seen success in the business world, have successfully made that transition and figured out a way to leverage their skill set from sports into business. I'm on a much lo- larger uh, platform. You know, we're building out a workforce development solution specifically to help collegiate level or professional level athletes go from sports to business so that they don't necessarily have to face some of the same challenges that a lot of us athletes did. Yeah. It's interesting, especially at the highest level of college and or amateur, because obviously amateur is more likely known in in Europe and outside of the United States where Mm -hmm. a lot of amateur sports here is at the collegiate level before it gets to the professional level. And so many of the, the this, no, I'm not saying this is the case, but I'm just using an example because it's easy to see. So many people that play football at the University of Alabama <laughs> believe that they're going to play in the NFL. Yep. They came in from high school being told how great they were. They got, they got recruited by the greatest college football coach that's ever walked the face of the earth. And now they're winning national championships. And now we're I'm at the highest level. And they, they only have their eye on that prize. But football is a great example. If you're one injury away and mm-hmm. you're playing a violent sport, that everything can change in a millisecond. Inky Johnson comes to mind. Yep. And he's a person who has transitioned beautifully from the field to the business world. But we are obviously, for every Inky Johnson, <laughs> there are probably hundreds of Scotty Pippins. Yep. And your, your, I can see the vision is like we're trying to help circumnavigate that problem mm-hmm. to help people understand that even if you become Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan had the transition. 
Yeah, everybody has to go through that. You know, the reality is, is unless you're the people say the 1% of the 1%, you know, you don't make millions and millions of dollars, right? Like college athletes now have the opportunity to make money. But historically, they didn't have millions of the dollars sitting in the bank. You know, yes, they had a college education, Mm -hmm. but they still had to go through that process of going from sports, which is most of the time what these kids have gone through their entire lives. And then whether it's through injury or whether it's through retirement, they're done. So now they have to figure out how to, you know, transition out of that. And they don't necessarily have some of the resources that Mm. a lot of other people do. Yeah. In all of your interviews, what was one story that was really compelling to you that you, that really shocked you or really kind of gave you even more impetus for what it is that you're doing? Because there are so many great stories out there, but I'm, I'm just fascinated. Which one was the one that like really struck a chord with you? For a couple of reasons. So not only is he a great friend of mine, but we met through LinkedIn. Uh, Marcus Ogden comes to mind. You know, he was a former Titans player. Mm-hmm. Um, he built a very successful construction company, lost it all, and ended up going and becoming a janitor until he found his way. And now he's a very successful speaker, consultant, coach. Um, you know, but that's the that's what we're trying to help solve for is specifically that story. And he is such an incredible person. And, you know, you talk to him about, you know, some of the resources that he had and it's the people that, you know, surround you to help pick you up Mm -hmm. and give you guidance and direction. And he was probably, he was my first interview. So he took a chance on sports suits, but he's been such a, you know, an incredible person and great friends since then. And his story is just it's heartbreaking, but it's so inspiring to see somebody come out of that and see a very successful career. Yeah, it's really um, motivating to see somebody who was at the highest level fall and recover, mm-hmm. right? And I, I was I, you connected me with Marcus. I did I did a podcast with him, and he's it was a phenomenal experience. And we, he's going to be coming to Nashville uh, sometime in the early winter of twenty two, and I'm going to do a podcast with him. And it's just so interesting to watch. He's so humble, and life humbles us all. You know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's pretty interesting. Is that he was humbled, but he never gave up. He held, he held his faith in what he was, what he could, what he knew he could do, and he was not afraid to start wherever he needed to start. And some people really struggle with what they consider lowering themselves to do something. But in all actuality, if you are just simply guided by the idea of being the best that you can be at whatever that is, Mm -hmm. it almost always takes off from there. Yeah. I mean, I had a pretty successful career and I believe that a lot of the reason my success is because I, you know, found incredible mentors or people that were willing to coach me and, you know, whatever they were doing. But I was, if they needed, you know, me to go run to the store and pick up packages of food to take to a software demo. Like I had no question about doing that or any concerns about doing that because I just knew I could deliver value and help them. And if they saw the value that I could deliver, they would give me more and more opportunity throughout developing that relationship and trust. And so, you know, I don't care if you're a CEO, a CTO, a COO, I don't care what your title is. You know, at the end of the day, we're all humans. Mm -hmm. Even athletes are all humans. You know, you have to, if you want to get somewhere, you have to most of the time start from the bottom Mm -hmm. and work your way up from there. Very rarely do people just step into 
a CEO role and are incredibly successful on their own. It just doesn't happen. Very true. Yeah, I know you've done a lot of international work outside of sports suits, but it's just all, the, all your other careers. But when, when you're dealing with international athletes all right, or international business people, how different are they from Americans in how they view the journey from playing on, on the field to going into business? Are they, is it very similar, or is one culture, is, your, is a European athlete different than an American athlete as they transition from one to the other? Yeah, so I haven't done a ton of international business, but I have a lot of incredible relationships all around the world. And, you know, typically in other countries, you know, they they don't have like collegiate level sports like the U S does, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe some countries do, I'm not sure, but a lot of the time, you know, these athletes either go to school or they train to be athletes. And so it's just a different ecosystem because you've got people that are competing at the highest level, but don't necessarily have the educational background to back it. So, you know, they get out of sports and then they're, you know, they're trying to find their way and they don't necessarily have the collegiate background that a lot of athletes in the U S do. Yeah. And it's interesting because then they have to start their their educational life much older than the, the normal 18-year-old, 19-year-old. So you get to be 32 years old and you've tried to be uh, you know, a basketball player, soccer player, whatever. And now you, you're like, well, that didn't work or I, I'm done. Now what? Now I'm going to get a college degree of some sort. And it's obvious that you don't fit in. I think that, you know, a lot of the mindset is starting to shift. You know, we see a lot of athletes that are starting to get involved in entrepreneurial or business deals or starting to become brand ambassadors. Or I think that that mindset is starting to shift a little bit about, yes, we need to focus on that of this sport, but we also need to look outside of that into opportunities from a business perspective. Because even now, like, you know, COVID's created a really awesome remote culture. And so, you know, these athletes can travel all over the world and also can have incredible opportunities where they're learning how to navigate the business community. Mm-hmm. Another thing that you've capitalized on so beautifully, and I've noticed it on my own side, and it was kind of shocking, <laughs> is LinkedIn. Yeah. LinkedIn has turned into my number one source of business outcome in the social media platform over all others. And I find it to be, and thank goodness it still is business, you know, driven and doesn't turn into the circus (laughs) that, you know, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, turn into. When did you get your LinkedIn savvy and when did you begin to feel comfortable with it And how did it transition you into this success that you're having right now? Yeah. So when I was working in corporate roles, you know, I was developing leads and stuff from LinkedIn, but it wasn't nearly as pronounced as it is now because LinkedIn's an incredible resource. You know, there's a million um, plus uh, business executives on there. And so, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you're going basically from creating a company from the ground up, you have to figure out a way to leverage the resources that you have. And unfortunately, a lot of us entrepreneurs don't start out with a significant amount of income in the business. So for me, I saw the importance of, you know, I had a decent following on LinkedIn. I understood how to navigate the platform, but I also recognized that rather than me as the CEO having to go out and hunt for every single deal, that if I put myself out there and if I created, you know, a little bit more about my own personal brand, that opportunities would 
come to me. And so starting the show on LinkedIn really provided me with an opportunity for people to get to know me a bit better and for me not to have to individually have, you know, hundreds of conversations with people. So it's been a really successful way of, you know, generating leads, generating opportunity, um, but also for people to kind of see who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. Well, part of what my main goal was for this year was to interview successful women (laughs) in the business world. And help me understand their journey so that I can help the the girls that go to this school and all the other girls that I teach that, I, that don't go to this school, help them remain dreamers, help them remain positive in their chase to becoming whatever they think they can be, because I believe that they can. And obviously we talked about before we got on about it, the importance of a coach, that they generally believe in you before you believe in yourself. But I really think that it matters when young girls listen to an adult woman talk about their journey and the things that they navigated that were difficult or challenging or not. And to really put a, in in your world, because I only care about your story, (laughs) put your definition on the proverbial glass ceiling. Yeah. I, I don't know. I see it as an opportunity. You know, this is just how I'm conditioned. I see, being a a woman um, at that, a millennial woman uh, in business is an opportunity. I stand out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a unique story. I understand some of the challenges that women go through is, you know, is, a, a, you know, going through a corporate career, but also, you know, through entrepreneurship. Um, and I think that I see it as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to make change. It's an opportunity to speak about that change. Um, and for young women out there, you know, you, you've got to be confident and bold and courageous in the things that you stand for because you, that is, that is you yeah. <laughs> and it is okay just to be you. Um, you know, and I, I think I'm pretty strong in my belief statements and what I stand for. And as long as I just focus on that, um, and encourage other women and other young girls mm. to, to stand for what they stand for, then it's a beautiful thing. And it's a great opportunity to stand out. Yeah. Self-confidence is critical. And that comes from the, actually the belief in the passion that you're chasing. And I, I sense that sometimes it's not so much anything else other than it's the lack of actual passion for the the task at hand. Maybe it's they like the money idea, yep. but they might not be fascinated by the job idea. And oftentimes it's the actual, the all the reason why you signed up. If it's not pure, if it's, you don't have a passion for it, you're going to get run over somewhere because there's going to be somebody that is passionate about it and they're going to sense it. And there's where like a first level conflict can occur. And, but it's sometimes people are so insecure to be okay with themselves chasing a dream that mom or dad, brother or sister, aunt or uncle <laughs> didn't think that was good for them or didn't think that that was a good fit. But that, that belief structure and knowing you walk into the room and this is what you're passionate about, that sets the table for your success. And we are conditioned, you know, just from a society standpoint to think that money is success. I don't necessarily believe that. I believe that impact is success. You know, if I have the ability to change the life of a single person on a daily basis, then that drives success for me. You know, once again, I had a successful corporate career. I chased the money because that's what I was told to do and conditioned to do. And I wouldn't say that I was miserable um, because it gave me the platform to be able to do what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but focusing on that thing that energizes you, surrounding yourself with the people that will encourage you and that believe in you. Um, and also just being very confident in what you're trying to achieve is, is critical. Yeah. I can tell like just when I, when I watch all of your, the other podcasts that you've, you've done is that because you now have like a very clear picture in your head of your own personal mission, right? It exudes out of you. And, to me, that's why you're you're in this process of achieving a level of success that you weren't quite sure how you were going to do it, but you knew that what you wanted to do, and that plays a huge role in your success right now. I'm super excited for you. Thank you. It takes time. You know, that's something I would also encourage to young young people is it takes time. You know, I didn't figure out all of this stuff in a day, right? Mm-hmm. All of these different things that I've gone through, all these unique challenges, all these incredible opportunities. Has they've all been stepping stones to get me to where I'm at now, and I am nowhere near <laughs> finished on the journey, right? But it's it's all a stepping stone to that to that journey, and you know it's taken a lot of time to figure that out. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, think I see this in collegiate athletes all the time. They they come out and they think, oh, I'm gonna you know have the most successful career. I'm gonna see all these amazing things, and it's like it takes time. Mm-hmm. All these things take time. Oh, it didn't happen overnight? No. <laughs> it's still not happening overnight, right? Yeah. Like, it's still a journey. And I think that another thing that, you know, I talk about some of the things that athletes just bring to the table is just that grit, determination. You know, I've been very consistent with taking steps forward, right? Mm-hmm. We always have to take a couple steps backwards. But I've been very consistent on just putting forth the work to make these things happen. You know, they're not just, it, it doesn't just magically happen for you. I, I believe that you have to put in the work and energy and effort to make it happen. And I've been very consistent with that. And I think that if, you know, there are people out there that are wanting to, you know, follow their dreams or pursue their dreams, you have to put forth the energy and the effort to get there. Mm-hmm. To be successful, and largely we end up becoming the five people that we spent the most time with in our life as it pertains to wherever we're going, right? Who are those important mentors or guideposts for you that have really instilled this vision and confidence within you to take on this this task? Because you you did say that you've you've had some mentors and some, some leaders. Who were they and what were the, some of the critical ingredients they gave you? So it's changed over the years. And that's something that I would encourage everybody to think through is, you know, who are you surrounding yourself with at this point in time? Mm -hmm. You know, so I'll talk about personas a little bit. So as an athlete, you know, my coach in gymnastics, uh, you really need somebody that believes in you. I mean, you, you crash, you burn, you fall consistently until you get that one repetition that just absolutely makes sense. And you understand this as a, as a golf coach too, like it, 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 it takes that, um, the consistent drive to do things repetitively mm-hmm. before you seek out that one amazing repetition that just changes your game. So, yep. you know, for me, it was, it was my coach as a kid, somebody that stepped in and said, Hey, I believe in you. I see what you're doing. You have a lot of potential. Um, so that's a really great persona to seek. Sure. Absolutely. Um, from a business perspective, it's, it's hiring. It's people that will hire you. Like, you know, if they're hiring you, they believe in you. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it's those people that open doors and create opportunity for you, even though they're not in quotations necessarily mentors per se. Yeah. You know, they believe in you. They open the door for you and give you opportunities. Um, You know, other personas are people that 
I don't necessarily know, but I just know that those are the women in my life that I can read about, that I can read their material, I can watch what they're doing, and I can model my behavior. So if Sarah Blakely <laughs> or Barbara Corcoran is listening, like I am such a super fan because they lead with joy and patience and kindness. And so I model my behavior around those and their mentors. They're not yeah. my personal mentors. I don't know them, but I seek out their content because I know that that's how I want to be modeled as a leader. Um, and then there's the traditional mentors. You know, there's been people along my career that have stepped in and have shown me ways and guidance and, you know, said, Amanda, if you do these things, then you'll see the level of success that you want to achieve. So I would say those are basically the four, I think that was four, the four types of personas that, you know, throughout my career have gotten me from mm -hmm. point A to where I'm at now. It's interesting, you know, it's almost like you're also demonstrating like, how business scale up yeah. and how hard that is. And at an entrepreneurial level, you know, so I'll use me for an example to make it easy. Right. So I'm a brand like a Virgil Herring is the <laughs> brand. It's hard to get a golf lesson from Virgil Herring when Virgil Herring's not teaching it. Mm -hmm. Right. But there are people out there like David Ledbetter who've built golf schools on his methodology but when you're, you're, there's all I can sell is time. And unfortunately, there's a limited amount of time. Yep. So you get stuck with this place where for me to scale my business up, I have to stop teaching golf making money and train others to do what I do. Yep. So the scary part for a lot of people is the loss of income in the scale up. It freaks people out because they've built their life, how their life runs the home, the, the kids, the, how, what we do with the income that we have, to scale back before the scale up is probably the number one reason why people become prisoners to their own business. What is it that you see in that particular arena, and how do you like to help people face the dip? <laughs> I mean, Virgil, we're facing it right now. You know, I went from a pretty successful corporate career to, you know, almost an unexpected transition into entrepreneurship. And when you do that, you know, unless you've built a, you know, a company, you know, on the side and started generating revenue from that, you know, we, we didn't do that, yeah. <laughs> you know, so we really started from, you know, the ground up and it is a terrifying thing. In fact, I think a lot of people, um, stay with their corporate careers, like you said, because that transition is so scary. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, I ripped the bandaid off. That's not necessarily, I wouldn't recommend that for everybody, but we did that just due to our family circumstances. And it's terrifying to go from, you know, a successful career to basically trying to find your identity, outside of your corporate career, which is very similar from, you know, going to sports to business. You're, yeah. You know, you strip that identity away and then you have to figure it out, you know, starting from scratch again. Yeah, it's really, it's, a, it's probably one of the scarier jumps and it probably gets scarier the older you get. I would imagine so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that if you were 27 and making that jump, the, the insulation of the fall is pretty... <laughs> is much softer than the midlife crisis jump, which I see in the 45-year-old is, am I only going to be an accountant? Yep. Am I only going to be this? And then they just want to go out and do something completely different. And you have to start from the beginning. <laughs> yes, it, you do. <laughs> and it's a, harsh, it's a harsh reality that people fumble. 
because it's, I think when people get to that point where they're so exhausted from what they've been doing, they make bad decisions because they're making it out of emotion. Yep. And emotion is a massive positive in certain arenas of life. But when it comes to decision-making, generally speaking, most bad decisions occur from emotion. And I mean, I would encourage anybody, regardless of whether or not you're an existing athlete, whether or not you're an employee, whether or not you're an entrepreneur, think through how to prepare for massive changes. You know, that's one thing that, you know, in sports, I did a very, very, very poor job of. But when it came to my corporate career, you know, my husband and I prepared and we didn't know, you know, that that was going to happen at that time, that my daughter's school was going to get hit by a tornado and I was going to very quickly turn into a homeschooling mom. Mm -hmm. Um, But we prepared in a way that if something happened, then I knew at some point I wanted to jump into entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I was going to be doing it so soon or that this was the time, but we did our best to prepare. And I can't say that you can always prepare a hundred percent for these things, but being prepared or thinking through, you know, how do I, um, how do I go after my dreams? What does that mm-hmm. look like? Uh, sure. What do I have to put in place to make that happen? You know, being prepared is much better than not being prepared. Sure, absolutely. Well, and when you think about, the, to me, the most popular part of my podcast as it pertains to the feedback that I get is a piece on perseverance. And there's no, nobody has a straight shot from the bottom to the top. It's not a straight diagonal line. It's a jagged up-down journey of pitfalls and, and horizons, so to speak. What is that one thing that you faced in your life that you didn't think that you were going to be able to get through and you, you fought through it and you persevered through it. And when you got to the other side, it steeled your resolve that you were able to take on anything. And everybody's fearful, but you face the fear and go through it. What's that one thing you overcame? Yeah. So it's silly to some, but it was a massive problem for me. So I had a huge fear of cameras, you know, as an, as an athlete, you know, you're kind of front and center. Um, and so when I made that transition out, I became very, very, very just not, I didn't want to be front and center. I was pretty introverted. I was terrified of being on film and cameras and public speaking so much. So you'll get a kick out of this and I don't share this very often. So you're very lucky. (laughs) Um, so I will never forget it. My freshman year of college, I went in and I had to do a public speaking course and I was talking on gymnastics. So I, I should have been able to talk very clearly on this. And I walked up to the lectern and I literally cried the whole time in my college class and about threw up and walked out the door. And so I just had such this like huge fear of public speaking and um, cameras. And so I didn't overcome that overnight. It took many, many years. And in a sales role, you know, I was, I had to present to people. I had to present one-on-one. Then that became larger groups. Then that become became hundreds of people. And so over time, I started to get a little bit more comfortable and confident about, you know, the public speaking side of things. And then I'll never forget, I sat down, I had the opportunity to participate on a TV show over the summer. And I sat down with somebody that has now become a great friend and incredible mentor for me. And he looked at me and he said, Amanda, he said, you need to have a show He said, you need to be front and center on this show. You need to use your story to help other people. And it took him saying, I believe in you. And for me and my husband saying, I believe in you to do this TV show, which is something I never would have done to 
being able to overcome that fear mostly (laughs) to be able to do that. So once again, it doesn't sound like a huge fear to a lot of people, but to me it was, it was crippling. Like it was, it was terrifying. And so now having the ability to do things like this, Virgil, share my story to use, you know, the things that the impacts that we're making and to show that on a more visible way, it's changed the way that I approach business. That's beautiful. And largely, I talk about this a lot, is that generally speaking, the prison walls that we face the most are the ones we build around ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you had built a, a, a false sense of what you're incapable of doing. I think a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of social media out there. I mean, and with all of the negativity around that, I think people are very reluctant in sharing their stories or becoming vulnerable in that sense. You know, it became me having to be super confident in just myself and feeling comfortable with, you know, what I'm comfortable with sharing, what I'm comfortable with talking about and being very firm in that. Um, But also being vulnerable and humble and stating, you know, as a business leader, like, I don't know all the answers to things, but I'm okay with sharing that. I'm okay with sharing the story. Um, You know, there are doors that have been opened because I've been out there more publicly. Um, And without me doing that, these doors would have never opened. So Hmm. it's been a beautiful journey. And once again, I'm still not 100% comfortable in doing these things. But I just recognize how this has the ability to impact other people as well. And if I can leverage my background to help them, then I'm willing to to do these things. Well, you're getting ready to sit down at a really big plate full of this because you're getting the opportunity to do a little TED Talk. I am. I'm doing a TEDx um, in April, which once again, that's a LinkedIn thing. You know, I got connected to somebody, an incredible person through some connections on LinkedIn. And, you know, leveraging my background and story to put together a TEDx is a is an incredible opportunity. And without people knowing, I was, you know, I'm out there and kind of what I stand for and what mission I'm on, they, uh, that opportunity would have never presented itself. What an outrageously amazing platform TEDx has provided the world. Mm-hmm. There have been so many, and they're all 20 minutes, or 20 to 22 minutes long. Some of them are less than that, but generally <laughs> they're supposed to be 20 minutes. I can I can think of 50 that I said that, and they've changed my life. And like Simon Sinek has one that's so good. John Wooden's was amazing. But there have been some people that I've never heard of. But it shows up because I follow TEDx, you know, and I was like, this has been viewed 17 million times. Yeah. And I'll watch it. I'm like, I don't, I don't know who she is. <laughs> and she tells a story that is so powerful. You're like, wow. And I'm so excited for you Thank because you. it took courage and faith to take the first step forward. And then that first step, nobody got hurt. <laughs> so I'll take another step. And the, and the journey of a million miles starts with one step. It does. And I think that so many people so much, put so much pressure on themselves to just go from, you know, the lectern of doing the gymnastics presentation and crying the whole time to thinking that they're going to have the opportunity to do a TEDx tomorrow. And if they don't get that opportunity tomorrow, then, you know, they're never going to get that opportunity. So I look at that you know, just that journey of walking into a college course and, you know, crying the whole time I'm giving this presentation to now having the opportunity to do a TEDx. Hopefully I don't cry. Um. (laughs) Hopefully I don't cry the whole time, but you know, just the journey of that specific thing, you know, if I wouldn't have put forth the energy and the effort to get there and I didn't even, TEDx was not even something that I would have considered, 
you know, five years ago, but it's just, it's such an incredible journey and an opportunity to show people that if you overcome fear or, you know, whatever you're challenged with, then there's incredible opportunity on the other side. If you're just willing to kind of step into that a little bit, lean into it, lean into it, lean into it and step up. Because like, I would say like, if you look at fears as gigantic ball, there's a little speck inside that ball. And that's how much of that fear could happen. And then inside the speck, there's another speck of that, which is what did happen. Yep. But we, because the brain is designed to protect us, and there's a lot of unknowns in, in speaking or, or doing what it is that you're doing, you don't know what's going to happen. So the brain starts to create visions. It creates a movie in your head that is so vivid and so gigantic. And if you don't learn how to walk into that fear, it's, it's a crippling and paralyzing place for a lot of people. And some people break through it later than they wanted to. Some people don't break through it at all. But other people, whether they're forced or they just have the courage to do it, when you come out the other side of fear and realize, wait a second, well, that was largely human-made issue and not reality, then you start to like put that in, into place in everything you get scared about. We're not being chased by lions all that often anymore. So at the end of the day, most of what we create in our mind of, that is fear isn't real. Humble. No, and I, you know, for me, like I know that having a coach or having somebody, and this is probably what the TEDx will be about, um, is you know everything for me be, be, uh, starts with somebody believing in me. So saying, "I believe in you." I mean, those are the most powerful words in my mind. Is somebody looking at you and saying, "I believe in you," and that plants the seed that allows you then to start believing in yourself in certain capacities. So I can't stress enough how important it is to have other people surrounding you that are incredible people that are doing amazing things, that are heart-centered, that want to see, to see you succeed mm-hmm. because they will plant that seed in you even when you don't necessarily have that seed to, to just, you know, I guess flower yourself, right? Sure. Like you just don't have that yourself. I think it's so interesting is like, I would say most people, are in the encourager department. They need that encouragement. I was watching a very interesting show yesterday. It's called Cracking the Code, and it's a story about the Ryder Cup in which Paul Lazinger was the captain, and we, America hadn't won in multiple, and he used a Navy SEAL pod methodology, and they all had to take personality tests. And there was a famous golfer at the time who fell off the face of the earth. His name is Anthony Kim. And... He, Paul Azinger had this personality coach as an assistant coach for the Ryder Cup. And they were, he and Phil Mickelson were struggling. And Paul was like, I'm going to go up and give him some encouragement. And the guy says, no, you go up and t- tell him how disappointed <laughs> yep. you are ha- and challenge him because his personality type needs to prove you wrong. Yep. So Paul Azinger, much as goes, much to my <laughs> dislike, I have to go up and do something that's so counterintuitive to me as a coach. And he goes, hey, man, uh, you all right? He goes, yeah, coach, why? He goes, well, you, you said that you were going to show me something today, and you haven't showed me squat. And he looked at him, and he laughed. And he goes, Paul Azinger looks into the TV's camera, and he's like, and he laughed at me. And then said, we're not losing. 
And then they won three of the last four holes and won the match. And he learned, you know, everybody has certain buttons they have to hit. And at the critical piece of your, your success, you had a lot of gifts. But maybe somewhere, people that you hoped would believe in you, they did, but maybe they didn't voice it. And you needed that button to get hit. And as soon as somebody believed in you, you took off. And what did that create? As soon as you took off with it, that created a neural pathway in your mind of when somebody believes in me, I can do it. Right? You probably don't thrive real well in being told that you're disappointing. I don't know. That's the athlete side, right? Like mm-hmm. I it's I don't need people to tell me I believe in you all the time. I need people to see the like see the ability mm-hmm. and just voice that ability. So it's not necessarily even saying I believe in you. It's also almost Amanda like what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like you have something to bring to the world and you're not applying that in a way that is bringing value to others. So for me, it's always impact driven. It's if somebody will tell me, Hey, this has the ability to help somebody else, then I'm motivated to do that. And I've always been that way. Um, so it's not necessarily those four words of, I believe in you. It most of some of the times it is, but it's Mm -hmm. also somebody saying, look, you have a gift and you're not sharing that. What are you doing? (laughs) And so, you know, I think it's so important for employers to, to state even people in your life to state when they see gifts in other people, because that plants the seed in those people that if those people will listen and will take that feedback, that they have the ability to take that and use that as a gift. So true. Well, the second half of the show, we've, now that we've talked about all the things that drain your battery <laughs> and what it takes to be great is draining because you put all, you go all in. Mm-hmm. The second half of the show is about the things you like to do to recharge your battery. <laughs> and generally speaking, they are the things that bring a lot of like-mindedness together to share in something that fills your cup up, which is why 100,000 people fit into a college football stadium. 50,000 <laughs> people go see Kenny Chesney or Garth Brooks. People go watch theaters and plays. And generally speaking, those things are the, the key rechargers on top of traveling and seeing the world and exposing yourself to new cultures and new ideals and family and, and friends. Those are the four major pillars of recharge. So when you were growing up who and now, like then and now <laughs> favorite musicians. Oh my gosh. Favorite musicians growing up. This is so embarrassing. Ace of bass for sure. <laughs> Ace of bass. Yes. Oh my gosh. Ace of bass. Um, I mean, I would do gymnastics routines to Ace of bass in the house. Like, <laughs> For sure. That and Spice Girls. Um, now, I would say, you know, Rascal Flats. I'm a huge fan of Rascal Flats. I think that their music is just so beautiful. Um, I like all music. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, I don't care what type of music it is. Anything from Irish punk music to country music. Um, I like to listen to it. It kind of gets me into a different mindset mm-hmm. or a different space. Um, but I would say Rascal Flats for sure. Interesting. I've spent a lot of time with Joe Don Rooney. The guitarist, and he's a magical human being. Love that guy. Um, Ace of Bass. God, <laughs> love Ace of Bass. You asked. <laughs> I know, but I love them. Like a very underrated in the time. They were freaking awesome. <laughs> they were. They oh. were awesome. I had a chin up bar, so I'll never forget it. I had a chin up bar across my door, 
And I love, I mean, anything gymnastics was just, uh, that's where I was. And so I was doing chin-ups and leg lifts and making up dance routines to Ace of Base. <laughs> I remember when they came on Arsenio Hall the first time. That was awesome. Love that. So good. Cool. There's an Arsenio Hall reference. Yes, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> best concert you've ever been to? Rascal Flats. Rascal Flats. Yeah, I went to their um, their last concert that was Starwood Amphitheater. Mm. And it wasn't that it was just amazing. I mean, granted, it was an amazing concert, but it was the first concert that I took my daughter to. My daughter's 11, um, and it was the first concert that I took her to, which was amazing because I felt comfortable with the content and with the sure. vibe and the people. But there's nothing like seeing your kiddo just singing and dancing and being filled with so much joy, and that will be my favorite concert for probably my entire life. 100%. That's a game changer. I took my, my boys to see Greta Van Fleet. That was their first concert. Uh, it was right around Christmas time two years ago right before the rona kicked in <laughs> and uh it was a like to know that they've we've been you know i'm a like like i say every day has a soundtrack for me i have i'm a music guy i love it and we listen to so much greta van fleet and to listen to them from their seats just singing along and that's what it's all about to me is that that experience that living that vitality and experiencing the art of that Wow, it's so cool. Yeah, we did that while she was homeschooling. So, you know, just seeing her, there's a lot of heaviness around that. You know, my heart goes out to so many people that had kiddos at home because it was such a challenging oh, time. I mean, yeah. it was it was challenging for the parents. It was challenging for the kids, you know, but just to see the overall joy and just her being a kid mm -hmm. was so beautiful. So it wasn't, yes, the music was amazing, but it was just the entire, you know, seeing her and the joy that she had as part of that process was, was beautiful. Yeah. In your opinion, the greatest gymnast of all time is male and female. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I'm a huge Alexi Namoff fan. Mm. Um, I am also a huge Dominique Mochianu fan. Um, I mean, I, I'm a super fan of any gym. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, it's a, I'm a super fan of the sport. I just absolutely mm. love um, everything about it. Um, I know that there's been a lot of negative, you know, toxicity and culture around that, but just everything that gymnastics stand for, mm -hmm. you know, I had a, a good coach. I had good people around me, um, as part of my journey in gymnastics. And so, I mean, I'm a super fan. Mm -hmm. So that's like asking you who your favorite musician is yeah, <laughs> or who your favorite yeah. golfer is. Yeah. So it's interesting. <laughs> like to me, one of the greatest moments in all of sport is Carrie Strug's, uh, final, yeah. final, uh, run down it was the pummel horse right and it was the, the, was it was the vault the so, vault that's right the vault so she so i i picked up a little bit on the behind the scenes of that so the culture of it oh um, i can't wait to hear this yeah it's a you know i think that she was challenged like athletes are told to push through injuries right and so from a cultural standpoint you're told to push through injuries and all of that good stuff so i saw a little bit of a different perspective with that just because, I mean, she had broken her ankle <laughs> and she's going to vault. And so even though it's a really cool moment, um, you know, I kind of thought a little bit differently just being an athlete myself in that environment. Yeah, because it, it's one of the things that I compared it to was Tiger Woods winning the U.S. Open on a broken leg and a torn ACL. And the thing that blew my mind, but it became so true and became so evident, 
Butch Harmon was being interviewed, and at the time he was the coach previously, he said, my biggest concern that Tiger's going to try to be a hero here and work through all this pain, but that pain that he's fighting through is going to prevent him from winning again. And in many ways, for 11 years, it did. Because every swing hurt excruciatingly to the point where the brain began to prepare for the pain prior to the pain. And then if you understand how the brain works, that was a bad place. And that created other issues throughout. So Carrie Strug, like her ankle's broken and she sprinted. And she landed. And she landed. (laughs) And and, she landed. And stuck it. It's one of the most miraculous things I have ever seen. And then we never heard from her ever again. And it was very interesting when I started to draw the parallels between that and Tiger's victory is that largely Tiger was a little bit of a different, in in a different world of fame than she was. But he basically vanished from the Tiger Woods he had been for a very long time. And she never reappeared in any way, shape, or form. And, but it's still one of the greatest moments in Olympic history, especially for an American. And my first dose of gymnast was Mary Lou Retton. And that's probably before you were born, right? Humbling. <laughs> Old. <laughs> Smithsonian Institute over here. <laughs> but like, I, I've always uh, had a great appreciation for how difficult it is. And Mary Lou Retton was, she became a, a media darling at the time. And I just felt like, that's interesting that you know, she's taken, she's done a great job of going from sports to suits. She did an outstanding job. That'd be a great person for you to bring on one day. Yes. If she's listening, hit me up. <laughs> no, you know, gymnastics as a sport, I mean, it's so taxing on your body. Mentally, it is so challenging. It's incredibly dangerous. So, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't do collegiate level gymnastics. I didn't go and train for the Olympics as a, you know, as elite, an elite gymnast. But even like watching it, it's so, you know, seeing the mental health challenges and some of the things that Simone Biles has had to go through, Took the words out of my you mouth. know, it's. People don't recognize how incredibly dangerous the sport is. And if you're not mentally and physically tough, you can do some serious damage. And so, you know, I'm I'm really excited to see how some of these athletes are, you know, taking a stand for some of these challenges because it's important to protect your health, protect your well-being, protect your body. Um, And gymnastics is an incredibly dangerous sport. Yeah. I was really... A couple of things happened in that time. Like at first, she got absolutely barbecued in the sports media for not going out there, being the greatest gymnast. Some people think that she's the greatest gymnast ever. How could you not go out there when you're not really injured? And this is just in your head. And then some really big names stood up for it. I'm like, thank goodness that somebody did because – it is so dangerous, but we don't value mental health like we value physical health. But it all starts in the mind. And if it breaks down in the mind, it's going to break down in the body. And she had the courage at the highest level that you can be at. Not only at the highest level as nobody's ever been as good as her, but in the Olympics to boot and say, I can't do it. 
I think that unless you are Simone Biles, her coach, or USA Gymnastics, it's really hard to understand what those conversations were. We don't know what the conversations were. So my position is, like, we can't judge. Um, And you never know what is going on behind the scenes. And so, you know, be supportive, be respectful. Um, Unless you're competing at a Simone Biles level, you have absolutely no, no idea what is going on. I can't wait to hear her side of it. When it's when the dust settles, give it four or six years, and let it let it because it's going to take that long. At her level, it's going to take her a while to just to be able to digest it, and then it's going to be it takes some courage to throw out the truth, which and depending on what level of truth we're talking about, uh, there's a lot that goes into that. And but it'll be a very fascinating story, and hopefully it's one that helps others face face that kind of decision. Because of the longest time you've been told to fight through it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure she's processing a lot. You know, mm-hmm. she's going from that to trying. I don't know if she's going to continue the sport or, mm-hmm. you know, so there's a lot of things that, you know, just in general that people are going through. And I think that it's time to be patient. It's time to be respectful. It's time to be supportive. Mm-hmm. It's time to... um to show love for sure, <laughs> because you never know what people are processing, even if they are, you know, the Tiger Woods or the Simone Biles or the Tom Brady's, you never know what these people are going through. Same thing with, you never know with people on the street, you never know what they're going through. So just be respectful. Yep. Be kind. Be kind. Yeah. If you can't find anybody to be kind, be kind yourself. Be kind yourself because once again, you never know what that person is going through. And if you have the ability to show kindness to the person, you never know what, how that, how that can impact them. Mm -hmm. For sure. Other athletes in your life when you were growing up that were like beacons of light for you other than the gymnast, any, any other famous or your favorite athletes in other sports? I thought Michael Jordan was super cool. Uh, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman. I thought, you know, I just watched that team and was just Mm -hmm. always so impressed. You know, my focus and a lot of people don't recognize when you're training for sports, that is your focus. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a lot of time to, you know, dive into other sports. But I do remember my brother and I sitting down and watching some of the Bulls games. Did you watch the last dance? Um, I don't think so. So it's a 10, 10 part documentary. I did yeah, watch that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I watched that. I'm terrible with names. So uh, yes, I did you, watch what'd it. What did you think about that? I was fascinated with it. Me I mean, I, I'm always fascinated. Once again, you see the media side of it and you see, you know, what people are being portrayed as or what, you know, the positioning is. But when you start peeling, you know, apart the onions of who these people actually are, what are some of the challenges that they go through? What's happening behind the scenes? Mm-hmm. That's the piece that fascinates me is the, you know, who are, who's the real human here? Not yeah. necessarily the superpowered athlete. Mm-hmm. So true. What parts of the world, like you go on vacation, you go places, what are some of the cool places you've been that really made an impact on your soul when you were there? So I had the ability, um, this is really an interesting story. So a couple of months ago, I got a, I got a call from a friend on a Wednesday and he said, Amanda, I'm going to Portugal. Um, I invited somebody to go and I just made the comment out of nowhere. I said, well, what, why didn't I get an invite? And he said, I have an extra ticket. If you can get there by Monday you can have it. And so I had the ability to, uh, I made it work. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, (laughs) I'm a little different in that sense. A lot of people will say no to these things or not find a way to make it happen. And I made it happen. I had very little knowledge other than I trust this person. 
I know that this person does some incredible work. Um, that was like what I was processing. And I knew if I got on that plane, I would have an incredible journey. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up flying out to a conference in Lisbon, Portugal, a couple days after I even found out it was a thing, there were 40,000 people there. Wow. Um, the person I was with had backstage passes. He was a Forbes contributor, so he had a media pass. <sighs> and we got media passes, and I had the opportunity to meet with Tim Draper. I had the opportunity to meet with uh, Jeff Hoffman. Wow. I had the opportunity to meet with some of the world's largest uh, or most well-known athletes. And, you know, without me just being bold and saying yes, Yep. and trusting that this person is, you know, inviting me because he sees that I could find value from it. I would have never gotten on that plane. But since I did, I met some of the world's most senior business executives and got to learn their stories and some of the things that were, they were, that they're working on. And it was fascinating yeah. that that was life changing for me. Yeah, one of my favorite, and sometimes I can't, I can't remember who said it first because I see the memes all the time. Was it Richard Branson or Tony Robbins? Two of my favorite. I love Tony Robbins. <laughs> Is that if you get a great opportunity, say yes and figure it out, even if you don't know what, what, what to do. Say yes and figure it out. Yeah, I knew that it was going to be a really cool opportunity. You know, I'm doing a lot of media-focused stuff now just mm -hmm. with Sports to Suits. And so I knew that if I was with a Forbes contributor, and he's an incredible friend anyways, but I knew that if I could learn from him that it would be valuable. I had absolutely no idea, you know, who was going to be there or what all the semantics were. But I just knew that if I if I stepped into that opportunity and I learned from him that there's no telling what, what I'm getting myself into. But it was such a cool experience. And I, I see so many people are provided with opportunities all day, every day. And they just, out of fear, say no. Mm -hmm. And that's one of them. I had never been out of the country before, okay? Oh, wow. So I, I've been on cruise ships. <laughs> I had traveled, you know, to ports and stuff like that. But I had never just flown into a country. Mm-hmm. And, wow. you know, that conversation with my husband was really interesting because he was like, where are you going? I was like, Lisbon, Portugal. And he was like, okay, awesome. How are we going to get you there? And how are we going to keep you safe? But it was just from saying yes mm -hmm. and having trust in people in my network and knowing that they would not create this opportunity unless they thought it was valuable for me to attend. I'm sure there are many, many things that happened there that was spectacular. What was the moment in, in Portugal that it, you'll never forget? Um... There's a lot of them, but I can say that, so he interviewed a lot of really cool people. So the conversation with Tim Draper was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, the conversation with David Meltzer was really cool. So hanging out with David Meltzer was really cool. Um, but I can say just walking behind the stage. So it was a, it was a stadium of 40,000 people. And we went to go, um, he was interviewing the person that created the event and we got to walk behind the stage. And so as somebody was presenting, we were literally behind this huge stage in a little tucked back room and just walking back there was, it was, it, it was just an experience. Wow. Could you imagine speaking in front of 40,000 people? Um, <laughs> Maybe one day. I mean, yeah. you know, I let's get with TEDx first, mm -hmm. right? Let's let's do that first. But you know, there's something so beautiful about incredible speakers um, and having that gift of conveying mm -hmm. just inspiration or motivation or content and doing it in such a way that it just, you know, you could hear all of the. Um, 
all the people clapping and all of the energy and it's just such a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I found it interesting. Uh, I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast that he was doing with Snoop Dogg and it was a pretty vulnerable moment. And he, he, he said, Hey man, I was just watching a, a concert that you did and you played in front of 400,000 people. What was that like? And he said, I don't even remember it mm -hmm. because when I'm on stage, I'm in like my world. Like yeah. I, don't, I don't even, I don't see any of that. So they, so Joe turns it on and says, here it is. This is Glastonbury 2017. Here you are, man. Look at all the, look how it goes people forever. He's man, Joe, I don't remember that. Yeah. I don't remember that view. He goes, well, here you are. He goes, yeah, but when I'm on stage, I have to keep it here. Well, they're there. So like for me, like I've, I've done a ton of sales presentations. I've done a fair amount of speaking, not in 40 or 400,000, mm. you know, people, but you get into a zone and it's game time. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the whole athletic reference, right? Like you practice and practice and practice and practice to where when you do get that opportunity, you're ready and you stay focused and you deliver and you're prepared. It goes back to the prepared conversation earlier. Absolutely. You know, and so these people are just incredibly prepared and highly focused. Mm -hmm. And you get out there and you do the absolute best that you can. And you have to cut out all of the noise and everything around you. Yep. And you just have to focus and deliver. And that's what athletes do a really good job of. That's a great transferable skill into oh, yeah, some of these public sure. speakers. You know, there's a lot of athletes that are really great public speakers. You know, you, you prepare and have a great message and a great story to deliver. And then you stay focused. Mm -hmm. and you execute. Yeah. And if you can figure out how to harness all of that, I would imagine Snoop Dogg's probably pretty similar. Like he just is very, I mean, he's been doing this forever, but super uh, focused. Oh yeah. Very prepared. He probably practices all the time. It's a huge passion of his, I'm yeah. sure. I just thought that that was like something that I could, like I'm trying to imagine what that would be like to walk out. I've always thought that it has to be one of the coolest things in the world to walk out on stage as a musician and, an enormous amount of people are singing back to you. But 400,000? That seems to be like a level of spectacular wow for an artist that I can't imagine what that's like. I can't either. I, just, I mean, it's it's amazing. Yeah. And just the energy you would feel, you know, I, I can't either. Yeah, okay. I went to see Pearl Jam at Wrigley <laughs> Field in 2014. And it had a big rain delay. And they almost were only going to be able to play nine songs. If they didn't, weren't able to get back on stage before midnight, they weren't going to be able to play another song. But the, the mayor allowed them to play till 2 a.m. because Pearl Jam was donating all of the profits of the concert to underprivileged uh, charities across Chicago. And I just remember they played Better Man. And it's probably 1.45 a.m. <laughs> this is like the third to last song. And he just just plays the guitar doom, doom, and people like there's 80,000 people sing it. He doesn't even sing it. He just plays the guitar and then he stops and he's, he's almost, he's almost crying. He's like, wow. I mean, I, it's, it's um, like celebrate the little successes. You know, yeah. we're talking about huge successes and I'll never forget it. Last week I had a phone call that it was that one person that said, I believe in you and I lost it. Right, but it's celebrating the successes. If you're passionate about something and you're you're motivated and driven, one of the biggest challenges that I see that highly successful people don't do is celebrate the wins. 
Oh, absolutely. Because we work so hard to have them that they're expectated. Yeah. Oh, I, you don't celebrate the great shot. Of course I had a great shot. This is all I practice. <laughs> but when you miss it, it's a devastating blow. And what I've learned about how the brain stores memories, it tags with emotion. So if you do something great, it is way better for you to super celebrate and emotionalize your successes because that means you're apt to repeat successes. But most people emotionalize the pain or the loss, and all that does is create more loss. Yep. And that's a very powerful message for everyone to hear is that you said, celebrate even the smallest victories. You don't have to be Eddie Vedder or Snoop Dogg or Michael Jordan to begin to appreciate your work. And you, don't compare yourself to these people. God, like no that, So that's one of the hardest things that I've had to just kind of overcome just as an entrepreneur is like you see all the people's successes and you're comparing yourself constantly to, you know, the Barbara Corcoran's or the Sarah Blakely's of the world, right? Yeah. But the reality is, is like if you figure out a way to celebrate the small successes, it encourages you to keep moving. And 100%. so that's one thing that I've had to really learn is like, don't compare yourself with other people. Mm -hmm. They've been on this journey for a long time. Yep. If you just keep moving forward, one foot in front of the other, celebrating your successes, if you keep doing that, then you will have the opportunity at some point to potentially be in a position like they're in. But if you don't do the work, you'll never get there. That's exactly it's right. not just going to hand it to you. And not just do the work, but also enjoy every single step along the way. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, with me being a golf professional and you, you <laughs> playing golf, how important has golf been in your business life? Not just in the recreational part, but golf has a very powerful business tool. And being a proficient player, as you are, <laughs> uh, how has it... I don't know about that. <laughs> how, has it, how has it impacted your life in, in a positive way through business and and that it would, how it extrapolates outside of business. So in my corporate career, I will never forget it. I walked into a meeting and they said, Amanda, you better go get a pair of golf clubs and you better figure out how to swing the club. Because as part of our culture, you know, we get involved with hospital tournaments. You know, we do business outings at times with clients. So you need to at least understand how to swing a golf club. And they knew I was a former athlete. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, you can figure it out. Just go take a couple of lessons and at least have, you know, an understanding of how to swing a golf club. And so I did that a couple of times. And then I spent a lot of time on a driving range. And I'm not a super great golfer, but I can swing the club. It's very proficient. I can drive the ball pretty mm -hmm. far. Yep. And I can putt okay. Putting's not the best part, but the driving part is the best thing. So, you know, I learned that, you know, women stand out on a golf course. 100%. And so that was an opportunity for me. It goes back to the initial conversation, mm -hmm. right? Golf is an opportunity of me, for me to stand out. People like to have... Um, females on a team if they're playing a scramble especially one that can drive the ball because I can outdrive most of the men that's right from the place you're from, from the place I'm teeing off from so it gives them a competitive advantage um, so even if I can just drive the ball decently we're we've got a competitive advantage and so I just learned that that was a great opportunity for me to stay engaged in a sport for me to stand out on a golf course and mm. for me to be able to develop relationships that are not just me picking up the phone and, and talking to somebody. When you have hours on a golf course with somebody, 
it's a totally different relationship. Yeah, I tell people all the time, golf may have, right now golf's not struggling. COVID has turned golf into the (laughs) sport. But the the golf's not going to go anywhere because there's hardly anything left in the world where you get four, four and a half hours with somebody and you're enjoying all of that time. And it becomes this awesome place for interview and relationship. Yep. And there aren't many, you're getting a free opportunity to watch a lot of things on the golf course. Well, you can see, you know, how they're behaving, how, you know, if they, if they take a swing and it's terrible, you can see how they react to that. You know, you can even cut up a little bit, you know, so, you know, having fun conversations, it's very different than sitting in a boardroom where Mm -hmm. everybody's just on a whiteboard talking, you know, you cut up a little bit and have a good time. And, you know, it's, you get to know people and how they behave outside of work, Mm -hmm. um, which is fascinating to me because I think at times, you know, as business executives, we tend to put on our suits and we have that persona and then we get out and then, you know, we cut up and we're different. We're just a little bit different. Um, And so having the ability to, to be out on the golf course as part of the culture of what I was doing it helped develop those relationships. And that's how I sell is relationship based. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to work with somebody that I can't deliver value to and getting to know these people. It's like, can I deliver value to these people? Can I help solve some of their biggest challenges? And mm-hmm. can I get four and a half hours to explore, you know, what are projects that they're working on? How are they, you know, what are some of the challenges that they're working through? You know, can I solve these challenges? And a lot of those, you know, a lot of the projects that were won were based on how I engaged and figured out what problems they have. Sure. That's awesome. I think golf's a huge business tool for anybody, but for women, it is a trump card. I agree. It is a trump card. And I, I try to encourage the girls on the team here. I'm like, listen, the worst possible outcome of this is that you can play a proficient round of business golf and if you young lady can play a proficient round of golf you are so much more powerful to that company or that organization than a similar age similar experience male it's unexpected too like when i go up to a tee and i go to swing the club it is very unexpected to see a young lady i'm i'm five foot two so i'm not super big you know Mm -hmm. swing a golf club as fast as i do it and it stands out and so you know in a in a 95 or 97 percent male dominated event if you're the five or three or five percent that has a solid swing you stand out straight out of the gate yeah and that makes and there's all kinds of correlations because if you're with golfers they know what it takes so that means if if you have that they know that what kind of work ethic you just can't whip up a golf swing it takes work so most people want to know are you willing to work golf is an awesome interview for are you willing to work and if you if it shows that you have it my goodness it's powerful there are so many correlations between gymnastics and golf you know body positioning mm-hmm. understanding you know how to consistently swing i mean a lot of the times i see these golfers just are so great because they have a consistent swing they feel confident in that gymnastics is the same way you're not going to start doing back handsprings on a balance beam unless you're super consistent on the floor first right yeah. but you have to work up to that you have to be committed to that if you can just get somewhat confident in a golf swing it's a beautiful thing, especially in a corporate setting. For sure. Final question. Yes. I always like to have the last one's a biggie. I like to make oh, you gosh. think, right? So 
I ask this a lot and, okay. and because I think it's so profound. One of my favorite social media follows is Jason Silva. He was originally part of the Flow Genome Project, and he's the, he was the TV host of Brain Games. Okay, Very deep thinker. And I, Every day I watch something he does. And he's, he grabs the microphone and gets right up in his face, and he goes, every person experiences three deaths. The day you find out you're going to die, the day that you die, and the last time anybody ever mentions your name. And then he puts the fa- like right up on his face. <laughs> what are you doing to extend that third life? And I was like, whew. That's heavy. <laughs> what a thought, right? So I've used that a lot because it is a very powerful way to view yourself in a legacy type way, whether it be as a mother or as you're creating your business legacy, but to be able to do things that people remember what you did. It doesn't have to be on a grand Michael Jordan scale, but they'd be able to impact your daughter in a way that she wants to pass on your stories. What are some, what, what does it mean to you to make people be able to say your name long after that, long after you're gone? I think it just goes to show the impact that has been made. So I think for me, it's planting that seed of, I believe in you, not just to my daughter, not just to my husband, my mom, Mm -hmm. but to all of the people that I'm working with, all the connections that I'm with, even the people that just see me on social media. It's, are you getting a seed planted because Amanda says that she believes in you? And is that going to impact you in some way? Is it going to put you on a different path that's going to be a more fulfilled life? You know, so if I can plant that seed in other people like other people did to me, Mm. then that's the legacy to be made for me. That's awesome. Well, uh, if you're out there and you're interested in getting connected to Amanda, how can they get, what's the easiest way to connect with you? Because you are the the queen of connection (laughs) and I have experienced it. So I'm very grateful. How can people get connected with you the best way so that they can share with you and that particular legacy carries on? Yeah. So the easiest way is probably to follow my LinkedIn, you know, Amanda Banks. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I didn't know the power of Instagram for quite (laughs) some time. I'm at Amanda Shares Joy. Um, the easiest way to just reach me is via email as well as um, Amanda at DeBanks, D-E-B-A-N-K-S, com. Well, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story and the, and the great visions that you've had and the courage that you had to get out of the corporate side and go on an entre- entrepreneurial path to chase your true passion. I'm super excited for it. I can't wait to see where all these <laughs> wonderful places that you go go and i cannot wait to watch your ted talk well thank you so much it's tedx wilmington so it's in april um, and i'll send you the information so awesome i'll I'll reshare it as as it comes back out (laughs) because i think it's important for people to be able to dream and know that they can do it and i thank you for sharing your story thank you cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you, or check out their website, www.curemich.com. Cure, cannabis used for research and education.
On the Verge is produced by Chase Akers. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a five-star rating and write a review. Click subscribe to make sure that you don't miss a single episode.